0: Welcome to this special podcast edition of my radio show, Kevin's Canadian Occasion, on CMRU.ca. I've got a collection of interviews with fellow Canadian creatives, and a few of my own ramblings as well on this episode. You're listening to CMRU.ca, by students, for you. I don't feel like an adult now. That's not just because I'm a student. I've spent years working full-time, I'm a homeowner, I know how to cook real food. I'm not saying these are great accomplishments, I'm just saying these are things I associated with adults when I was a kid. As a kid, adults always seemed so capable, confident, and functional to me. Or maybe I saw their dysfunctions as a function of life. As a privileged middle-class dude, I probably have little perspective on what it means to be an adult. Life hasn't always been perfect for me, but overall I'm lucky. Sometimes I think the most successful people are just the greatest pretenders. There's a line in a movie called Liberal Arts where the main character says, Nobody feels like an adult. It's the world's dirty secret. That character isn't exactly the best model for how to live life, but I like the sentiment. Sometimes I think previous generations look at a millennial like me and wonder where the world is headed. I think every generation has made bad decisions and every generation is confused by the next. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm rambling like an old man. Yeah, I'm an adult now. Up next, I've got a live interview for you fine listeners. The live interview from Jim Evans. He's a member of the Calgary Underground Film Fest programming team, a host on the local podcast Film Rage, and a supporter of all things Canadian. I'm going to discuss the value of Canadian content with Jim and talk about his favourite Canadian movies and artists. Also, we'll talk about what Jim does on the programming team for Cuff and about Jim's podcast Film Rage. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks, Kevin. So, Jim, tell me a little bit about Film Rage and what brought you to making a podcast.
1: Whoa. Um, Well, it probably all started back probably about three or so years ago, and um, there's a group of us that sort of hang out at the festivals. It's a bit of a festival crew that hit all the independent and local film festivals, and we've come become somewhat of a gang over the years. And one year we had recently sort of connected with a new person within our gang, so to speak, uh, Bryce. And after watching a late night movie, this is back when they used to do the late midnight movies that would start at midnight and go till two in the morning. And it was a you know a, probably a Wednesday or a Thursday when I had to work the next day. And we started talking about this movie afterwards and me and Bryce were just ripping off each other for about an hour straight with a gang of people sort of listening in on us. And somebody said, you know what, you guys should start a podcast. And we went podcast. And then, you know, that, that cartoon light bulb came on and both of us, we both looked at each other and said, okay. And, uh, that was the birth of film rage.
0: That's a great story. I love when things just happen organically like that. Like yeah. The universe is telling you something. Yeah, for sure. How has the reception
1: for your podcast been? Um, You know, <laughs> it's funny. We have more reception, I find, on social media than we do as much for listeners. But, you know, with podcasts, uh, you know, if you've got something unique, it sometimes takes the right set of ears to hear you before it starts to take off in a certain direction. So, you know, we're happy with the listening base that we have because a lot of the listeners that we have actually do have feedback and let us know their thoughts and feelings, but really it's unadulterated, um, unedited uh, opinions about film, which often a lot of other podcasts we get, we get a lot that people tell us, you know what, you guys tell us the straight goods, which is what I want to hear about film. And we don't hold back our feelings. And, there's, because there's three of us that are part of the podcast, you get you know, differences of opinions, and people will find the person that they uh, associate most with, and, and they you know, will get posted say, yeah, hashtag Murray, right? <laughs> because Murray's kind of the everyman in, in the show, and Bryce and I are a little bit, we have an argument between us, who's the bigger film snob.
0: Right, so it sounds like the different dynamics that you've got going on in the show, bring in a variety of audience members. You also mentioned that social media is a big part of getting attention. Um, How do you find, what do you find has helped as far as using social media to get your message out?
1: Well, you know what? It's just grinding it out, Kevin. Um, You know, when we started the podcast, I had, I mean, I was not a big social media person. Uh, I was on Facebook, basically, with friends and family, and when you start a business if your business isn't on social media it's never going to be successful it's just it's never going to be successful the, the the future of of business in general is is social media so finding that audience and we started out actually on Instagram and I was spending all my attention on Instagram and realized that Instagram's not the place for for podcasts the pod, the place for podcasts is Twitter and so I had never used Twitter. Uh, I make an inside joke with my friends that I wasn't a Twit, but now I am. So it's, uh, and since we hit Twitter, our following has grown significantly in the year we've been using it, or just over a year. Uh, we grew our, our audience on Twitter from, well, basically nothing to almost 8,000 uh, people following us on Twitter. And, uh, and <laughs> back to Instagram, you know, we just broke 4,000. So it's and it's from all over the world we have um, followers from from everywhere around the world so uh, that, that that that's where we, I spend most of my time if you want to find find me is on Twitter
0: great and what what would your um, your tag be on Twitter if people want to look you up
1: Oh filmrage YYC it's it's actually our tag on everything except on YouTube if you just search filmrage podcast in Google you'll find us. Uh, on um on youtube but yeah i'm always surprised when people can't find a tag that's the same on all because you'll go oh yeah oh by the way on twitter we're this and oh on instagram we're that and oh yeah wait but on facebook we're this and so i don't know if i was just lucky enough that nobody had film hyyc although maybe nobody in calgary has the same level of rage that we have so it was maybe easy to 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 snap you that one consistent in your rage and in your tags (laughs) exactly (laughs)
0: So tell me, is there a, a local independent podcast community um, in Calgary or even across Alberta? And is it supportive or competitive, or is it both?
1: I uh, wow, that's a really good question, Kevin. Um, podcast community in general on Twitter is probably some of the best people on the planet. They really do support each other. It's you know, if I've got probably. 10 distinct families on Twitter that are based in certain areas. But to go back to your question, in Calgary, there is, we have a, um, a group that is specific to YYC. And um, really, if you just, if you find any one of the uh, Calgary podcasts, you can get connected to that group on Twitter and um, very supportive. We, we RT each other's um, tweets. We... Take care of each other we support each other if they have events we're there for each other Uh, and we've started working on some other future things i don't want to go into too much detail we've put things on hiatus for the last little bit over covid but we're going to be having potentially some meetup opportunities to get to see each other face to face hopefully in the near future but the, the it's definitely a very supportive community we all listen to each other's podcasts and even if you don't listen to it you're you're always supporting it on twitter which, um, yeah, I would say some of my, my greatest friends I've met over the last couple of years on Twitter uh, are all from the podcast community, both internationally and in, uh, in Calgary, for sure. In Alberta, per se, I know they have a very strong support. There's, there's actually um, podcast communities for Alberta, and I, I'm not specifically part of those, but I know they exist. I I've, I've more focused on the YYC because, you know, we live in the same city, not that we don't live in the same province or the same country, but it's uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to see another Canadian or another Albertan or another Calgarian when you're when you're doing posts. Yeah, it's it's, it's very supportive. The competitiveness side of it is I think always there because you want people's you almost want someone's listener base, right? So you can kind of Partner up with somebody, and you know the the I call them the the mothers and fathers. Like you know, just like in drag, you might have a drag mother in podcast community. You might have a drag or a podcast father or mother that kind of brought you into the fold. And there's a lot of them that do that. So, and I I, I like to think that I'm a little bit like that now. I've got a few years under my belt in Twitter and in the podcast community, so I'm becoming somewhat of a podcast father to some of the new podcasts.
0: Wow. Yeah, it sounds like there's actually quite a quite a quite a bit more to that community than I realized. Like it sounds like it's it's quite vast and there's a lot of relationships going on. Um it's really neat to learn about that. Um I didn't realize that there was such a big community locally mm-hmm. in Calgary.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There's some some great ones. So two two of my um <laughs> I get it wrong, my buddy Tony from Flix X raid and um Sam from uh, Invasion of the Remake, our two movie uh, podcasts that are here local in, in Calgary as well. So check those out on um, online and on, uh, on your streaming services. That was Flix. X-Raid. Okay. And Invasion of the
0: Remake. Great, great. Good to know. And speaking of Calgary organizations, so to speak, um, you've been on the programming team with Cuff for uh quite a little while um tell me how long you've been with them specifically and um what you do on the programming team what the what the position looks
1: like yeah so uh, i like to think of myself as the head volunteer more than just the programming than the programming uh, team because i've been volunteering and the the crew at Cuff are, we're all friends of mine now but i started actually i started with sif to be quite honest so Calgary International Film Fest, and I started with them probably around 14 years ago. Getting on in bond with them, and became uh, good friends with Brenda Lieberman, who is the head programmer for SIFF as well as CUFF, and and so through Brenda, I got more connected to CUFF. So I haven't been working with CUFF as long, but um, I was working with SIF for for many years. And and we do a lot of work with our podcast on both of them as well. But for Cuff now, you know, anytime Brenda needs anything, because you know, as a as a charity or a nonprofit, the film festivals are always looking for help and support, uh, as you well know, Kevin. Now that you're part of the team, but um, you know, I've been anything that Brenda needs. I can sometimes I'm driving. Years ago, I was doing more bartending. I'd be doing selling merch, but. You know, the the primary role I do have now, as you mentioned, is part of the programming team where I watch a ton of films two times during the year, which almost takes up six months of my life now. So we start screening for the April festival just about now. Actually, we've got some things we got to start start listening to. And yeah, primarily it's part of being a team viewing some of the really bad movies that are made and kind of weeding them out so that they, they know. And, you know, with the amount of years I've been doing it with them, I t it, it's probably been at least ten now I've been working with cuff on and off for different roles. But I would say, you know, when I put a yes or a no on one, it they take it probably a little bit more seriously just because I've I'm kind of so connected to the to the festival. And you know, I'm one of two people on the planet that have a cuff tattoo. So uh, we have we have stardom status when we show up at a Cuff event. It's like, oh, the Tattoo Brothers. That is
0: commitment to a cause. <laughs> you literally have it painted into your body. That's right. Yeah, there's uh, there. I don't know if people realize that there are literally hundreds of movies that we watch every year. Yep. Um, and it takes a lot of time. Do you see Cuff as a good platform for Canadian voices? And if you do, why?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that one, well, one thing that both Cuff and Sif, and I don't want to just talk, I mean, Cuff is my is my family and my home, but I also have a very big affiliation for Sif because they're big supporters of our podcast as well. And they, there is a very big focus on local. So if you have a local film, please get it into both Sif and Cuff for them to view it because if it's of of, of quality, and you know, when you think, when I think of quality, make sure that the, the visuals are well, the sound mix is good, the story is well put together. If you're just filming something on and, and the mix is crappy, the lighting's bad, it's going to be tough to get in. But they really do make a big effort to have a large amount of Canadian and local talent in their festivals. Because it's important. It, we, are, we are a community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think audio is probably the main thing that a lot of people forget how important it is. Yes. Um, I have fallen prey to that myself. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's something to learn from for sure. Yeah, if you're going to spend money,
1: (laughs) spend it on lighting
0: and sound. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I don't think we have too much more time here, Jim. I could talk to you about this stuff for hours, but unfortunately, I don't have hours. (laughs) Um, thank you so much for coming on here, and I'd like to give you a minute uh, just to plug your uh, your podcast and um, tell our listeners anything you'd
1: like for them to hear. Yeah, I would say if you get a chance right now, if you're listening, you can find us anywhere on social media, as I'd mentioned, at Film Rage YYC, or just search Film Rage Podcast. We love it when you subscribe. We love it when you tell us stuff. We love it when you give us reviews, especially if they're good. If they don't, send us an email and tell us you hate us. Uh So, yeah, that's I mean, that's where you find us. You know, I guess maybe just leave you with one thing, Kevin, is the reason that we started our podcast was to bring new content to listeners as fast as possible so that if you like us and you like what we have to say, then you're knowing what what we think is good and what we think is bad. So if all three of us like a movie, you got to think that it's going to be a great film. So if you're looking for new content that you want to go see and you're not sure if you should see it, listen to our podcast. We're usually getting it when it first comes out that weekend.
0: Great, great. Yeah, I think um, nowadays with so much stuff out there, it's really hard for people to figure out how to curate what they're going to watch. So this is another great source for that, I think. Um, Yeah, listen to Film Rage if you want to figure out what to watch and boil down your thousands of options to a few. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us, Jim. I really appreciate you coming down. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. I, uh, I'm sure I'll see you soon and I hope you have a good rest of your day yeah you too thanks thanks again that was Jim Evans from Film Rage a local Calgary podcast and on the programming team of the Calgary Underground Film Festival as well thank you for listening to our interview and I appreciate Jim for coming down At a period in our lives when hormones and emotions are heightened, it's common to catastrophize and make things so much bigger than they really are. This is part of the reason this type of emotionally charged, angsty music resonates so much with teenagers. At least that's how I remember relating to it in my teens. The story of this song takes the form of a friend helping another friend off the edge and convincing them not to take their own life. The writer and singer of this album, Adam Gontier, had overcome an addiction to OxyContin and a lot of the album seems to be a reflection on that process. The relationship Adam has with his friend in the context of the song is one of empathy informed by his own struggles. From experience, I can say that having external support in a time of crisis is essential to recovery. I also want to stress that doesn't mean that someone who can't reach out to friends or close ones in a time of need for whatever reason doesn't have resources. There are other supports available for anyone who may need it. The Distress Centre in Calgary, Alberta is a call line available 24/7, and they can be reached at 403-266-4357. You will be connected with someone who will listen to you, chat with you or direct you to whatever resource you may need. There's strength in being vulnerable and asking for help. Your life is worth it.
2: You're listening to CMRU.ca. Buy students for you.
0: Last week, I spoke with Amy Evans. Amy works at the local family-run consignment store, the Clothing Bar Boutique in Marteloup, owned by her sister Katie. It's a hot spot in Calgary. It's affordable, eco-friendly, and thrives on being welcoming and supportive. We spoke about how her sister got the store off the ground.
2: The clothing bar kind of started as a little dream uh, in her parents' uh, basement pretty much, and um, it kind of blossomed into... It'll be our six years we've been open this March. So it's really become kind of our second home and uh, kind of a community hotspot within Marteloupe and the people that live there, kind of abroad and in Calgary. It's just become kind of a cool place where people can go to get thrifted goods and local goods. And um, we just have so much fun doing it and seeing who comes in the door every day.
0: Can you explain how consignment works?
2: Yeah, um, essentially, We're a consignment store or a thrift store, and um, people can bring clothes, women's clothes, to the clothing bar, and um, you can get money for them. So it's kind of a way to um, recycle clothing where you can bring in your items and we can try to sell it for you. And I think a big part of that is just recycling clothes rather than wasting them. Lots more information on our website, and then you can check it out and kind of see how you can get involved in that.
0: What is the um, address of the website?
2: It is clothingbarboutique.ca
0: I think that the clothing bar is a great example of Canadian entrepreneurship. As you said, your sister started it as, you know, this basement operation and grew it from the ground up, literally. How did she get it off the ground, out of the basement, so to speak, and (laughs) gather such a big following?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of cliche to say, but it, it... happened that way with a lot of hard work you know uh we kind of grew up thrifting and there wasn't a lot of options back then you know there was sort of the big chains that there are now and we spent a lot of time thrifting and it was always something my sister was so good at was styling different clothes and wearing different things that kind of were cool before they became cool before they came on trend and she kind of just was always good at that and um actually had lost her kind of oil and gas job within the layoffs and stuff and i kind of you know had said why don't you do something that you really love so we got kind of clothes from different friends and then sold them and kind of have events and parties even before the markets and stuff were really popular with thrifting and consignment in calgary so after a little while we did markets and different things and (laughs) took bags of clothes all kinds of places to try to sell them until It kind of happened that we found a venue space that was sort of affordable for us, and that's how it kind of blossomed from there. You're listening to CMRU.ca, by students, for you.
0: Continuing to honour Canadian artists on this show, next up will be a live interview with local fiction author and my big brother, Mike Thorne. Mike Thorne earned his Master's of English Literature here in Calgary at the University of Calgary and is currently studying at the University of New Brunswick for a PhD in creative writing. Mike Thorne is an expert of horror fiction in the written word and on the silver screen. He has published numerous short stories in magazines, podcasts, and anthologies throughout the 2010s and 2020s. He's also published a great deal of film scholarship and criticism available in book form and online. In the last couple years, Mike has published two short story anthologies, Darkest Hours, and Peel Back and See, as well as his debut full-form novel, Shelter for the Damned. You can buy Mike's work through Chapters, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or through the publishing house, Journalstone. Mike and I are going to discuss Mike's work, his favourite Canadian storytellers, where he gets his inspiration from, and the unique appeal of the horror genre. Do you um, ever reach out to other writers during the process? And if you do, who do you reach out to, and um, why, why those people?
3: I don't usually reach out during the writing process, although once I've you know edited my drafts a few times, I have a handful of trusted readers who I reach out to um, to look at my work. Um, and those people are our oldest brother, Dan Thorne, who's also a very talented writer, um, and Neil Howell and Randy Schroeder, who are very close friends of mine and who write different kinds of fiction. So I like to have um, a variety of perspectives on my work to the degree that I can. I mean, this semester, I'm in a prose writing seminar, so I have had to uh, relinquish control of my earlier drafts uh, to have them um, reviewed by my classmates. So I guess that's something I've had to do this semester, which is it's useful because, you know, when you're writing, you're, you're locked into your own cognitive process. It's good to have another set of brains and another set of eyes to, to look at
0: it for you. And that must be a new process for you doing it with a bunch of like colleagues in this higher education program. Um, how does that feel? Is it, is it hard to get used to, or, um, tell me a bit about that.
3: It's, it's been good actually, um, because there is such a variety of different, um, Different voices, different perspectives, different backgrounds. Um, so, it, it, you really get so many different interpretations of your work, different suggestions. Um, it, it's, it's been really useful for me, actually. I think ultimately, you have to determine what you want to keep and what you want to change because sometimes, you know, one person will suggest that you need to remove something and someone else will say, that's my favorite thing in the story. So you you do have to make those calls sometimes, but uh, yeah, no, it's been, it's been really helpful actually.
0: That's good to hear. I think it, it takes uh, a certain person too to be able to not allow their pride to enter into that too much.
3: Yeah, you can't. I mean, at the moment you tell yourself, I have, you know, I can't, everything I've written is, as good as it can be, it's like, well, then you've stopped growing and you're probably not going to make it very far as a creative person. I think you, you can always do better. You can always learn. Um, so I think it's, it's absolutely essential to be open to that
0: feedback. I think that is sage advice. Since my focus on this show is Canadian artists, I'm specifically interested in regional creativity. Um, I know you mentioned Randy Schroeder and Neil Howell, are there other Canadian authors that you find inspiring and why? And do you see any characteristics that are unique to Canadian writing? And if you do, what are those characteristics?
3: Uh, I mean, it's difficult to think of any set of characteristics that would define Canadian fiction as a whole, because, um, I mean, we could look at like Indigenous Canadian literatures, which I, I think is a multitude of different voices and perspectives. And then there's settler Canadian fiction, which is also a multitude of different perspectives. And then there are different provincial histories and legacies as well. So I think it, it would be difficult to encompass the whole of Canadian fiction within a, a specific set of traits. Uh, Margaret Atwood attempted to do something like that in a book she wrote called Survival, in the, I think it was in the 70s, where she posits uh, something to the effect of survival is, is one of the recurring traits in Canadian fiction. But I don't know. I'm, I think it's, uh, it's a dubious prospect to, to make that claim. Um, in terms of Canadian writers who inspire me, I mean, there's so many people doing great stuff. I was lucky enough to study with uh, Josh Whitehead um, when I was doing my master's at the University of Calgary. He was doing his Ph.D., He's um, doing incredible things. The author of Johnny Appleseed and Full Metal and DigiQueer. Um, Eden Robinson, uh, she writes kind of magic, realist, um, sometimes horror, indigenous horror. Um, again, very unique voice, very unique perspective. Um, I also studied with Erin Emily Ann Vance. She writes um, really kind of boundary breaking stuff she plays with folklore and true crime and fairy tales and realist fiction she writes poetry um she's brilliant too and then you know people like leonard cohen i know some people say his novels make no sense but i kind of love that about them so yeah so many people it's, it's my sometimes i blank when people ask these questions but those are some of the people who come to mind and randy and neil two brilliant guys
0: What do you think it is about the horror genre that appeals to you specifically? Um, What makes it unique and a genre that, for whatever reason, you chose to work in?
3: I think I like um, horror's capacity to disrupt, to um, transgress, to, I think by virtue of its excesses and its reliance on often Strange or unreal imagery. It can get really close to uncomfortable subject matter in a way that almost no other genres can. Um, plus, it's it's uh, it's fun to scare people. I think that if there's there's something fun in that. Um, and and I've always just been a fan. I mean, I think when I when I think back to the books that had the biggest impact on me as a younger person, um, you know, I, I read. Pet Cemetery. I think, when I was about 12. And that was just like a a gateway drug for me in terms of being excited about fiction. So I think the seed was planted early. And uh, that's just been my impulse is to kind of write within the darker corners.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with all of that. I think, uh, yeah, horror is absolutely a genre that goes places nowhere nowhere no other genre seems to be able to go to and it's interesting you mentioned Pet Cemetery. I think that was one of the first horror movies that I watched I'm pretty sure you and I watched it on like sci-fi or whatever I forget what that (laughs) was it Friday Night Frights or
3: Friday Night Frightmare on the space channel yes
0: yeah that was uh (laughs) that was always fun to sneak sneak down into the basement and watch things (laughs) we're not supposed to
3: (laughs) we were way too young you were probably like 10 or 11
0: maybe like you were really young Oh, yeah. Yeah, it it traumatized me, but it also, it planted a seed. (laughs) Exactly. Traumatized in the best way. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, if anyone's going to traumatize you, Stephen King is is a good one to do that.
3: Yes. Yeah, he's a good go-to for that.
0: Um, Where can people find your work and learn more about you or reach out to you if they want to ask questions?
3: Um, I have a website, MikeThorneWrites.com. My Twitter handle is Mike Thorne Writes. I'm also on Instagram, same handle. Um, Yeah, and I'm I'm floating all over this weird place we call the internet. I'm on Facebook, Goodreads, Letterboxd, if people want to read my very sparse ramblings on movies. They're sparser and sparser these days. But, yeah, so I'm around.
0: Great. Yeah, no, I um, I think personally – a lot of your stuff on Letterboxd is actually quite detailed, and I feel like most people would find that. Um, I think a lot of film writing these days does not go to as great lengths as uh, the type of effort that you put into your criticism. So I think that stuff is certainly worth seeking out. Um, okay. I wish we could. I wish we could keep talking. Um, I know we're just grazing the surface here, but unfortunately, I uh, don't have too too much more time with you. Um, but please, um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience, or anything that, um, yeah, I, I uh, you feel you didn't uh, get to express?
3: I don't think so. Get vaccinated, wear a mask, be nice. That's it.
0: I think yeah, those are all uh, all tenets to live by in these in this day and age. Thank you so yeah. much for calling in, Michael, all the way from New Brunswick, taking time out of your busy, busy schedule. I really appreciate it
3: yeah no problem thanks for having me on
0: thank you again and um yeah i'm sure we'll talk soon
3: yes we will
0: bye bye that was mike thorne local horror fiction author and film critic you can find mike's work and ask questions as he said at mike or through twitter at mike that's mike thorne w-r-i-t-e-s and um Yeah, you can find plenty of stuff on his site. He's got his film criticism up there, links to where you can buy his books and all sorts of goodies if you want to explore uh, the world of the talented horror writer, Mike Thorne. I think it's uh, certainly, certainly worth checking out, especially if you're a horror fan. And hey, if you want to just try out the genre, I think that's a great, great starting point. So yeah, I uh, really appreciate appreciate Mike coming down And uh, I think we fit a lot in that little short interview. So hopefully you all enjoyed that as well.
2: You're listening to CMRU.ca by students for you.
0: Horror is a genre that often seems to get a bad rap. I have no issue with someone not liking the genre. Everyone is entitled to their own preferences. But something that irks me and happens frankly far too often is when someone gets all freaked out or acts like I'm a weirdo for digging horror. I think it's ridiculous to perceive someone who likes horror as getting pleasure from real-life horror. I'm not into death and destruction, I also went through the cognitive stage that allows me to separate reality from fiction a long time ago. I like being scared. It's a natural human emotion and experience that makes me feel alive and I'd much rather experience it within the safety of a book or a movie than in real life. Horror is also a genre that removes certain acceptable boundaries other genres are constrained by, allowing for more honesty. Life isn't a rose garden, and happy, tied-in-a-bow endings don't prepare us for reality. Horror is fun. It's an emotional thrill. When it's good horror, that is. It's kind of like riding a roller coaster. It's not everyone's cup of tea, and I get that but I'm not crazy for liking it. I'm crazy for other reasons. This has been Kevin's Canadian Occasion on CMRU by Students4U. Thank you for listening.